0: All right, we're going to be in Acts chapter 3. Thank you. Good man. Let's, uh, let's stand together. We're going to read this passage uh, from Acts chapter 3. We'll read the first 11 verses out loud together. <clears throat> let's share this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going in to the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You can be seated. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we share, may your voice be amplified. Where I am in error, for your spirit, would you correct us? And when there's something clear that you're doing, would you draw our attention to it that Christ might be honored and the Spirit might move in power in our church, in the city of Tulsa? In Jesus' name, amen. Every year around Christmas, my father in law, who's sitting right here in his signature breakaway reading classes, uh, they're awesome. That's what we'll do for Easter next year. Instead of seeds, we're going to hand out breakaway reading glasses to everybody. Every year uh, around Christmas, Bob, uh, because he's sadistic, goes and buys a thousand piece or more puzzle. And and he gets these fairly complicated ones. And we know generally in the upstairs living room that on a tiny card table, you know, Bob is going to dump out this whole box of puzzle pieces and spend the first opening hours flipping everything over to the right side and begin finding the edge pieces and we know in the month of December when we go to the Skaggs house that uh, we need to be very careful in the upstairs living room around the card table because Bob is putting in some serious hours uh, on these puzzles and we especially know and we have to warn the little creatures who live in our home that when they go there they need to not touch Pop's puzzle pieces. And especially don't take the box, because the box is everything in the process. (laughs) Because the box is is your picture of what you're shooting for. If you don't have the box, I mean, that would be, a. I mean, it's already a difficult task. It's all the more strenuous and difficult if you don't have any idea of what you're shooting for. And I think this is a great metaphor for life, that all of us are trying to take the puzzle pieces of our existence, our the information we've gained, our relationships, the, the things that have been passed on to us, our faith, our worldview, our politics, all of these things we're taking together and we're doing our best to cobble together a cohesive and a whole life. And, um, and we're trying to do that to the best of our ability, to the best of our knowledge. And, and it's really hard to do that without some sense of a measure or rule or a guide of what we're shooting for. Now, some of you are maybe uh, adventurous, and when you're taking on a project, you rather like not having instructions because you want to – and you've messed up a lot of IKEA furniture in the process. But you like – there's freedom in that. But when we think about how to live well and how to live wisely – and in a very complex world, to, to be left uh, on our own without some sort of rule or guide or picture of what a good and flourishing and beautiful life looks like, that would be a, 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 an intimidating and a daunting task. And in fact, to be left without some sort of picture of what the good life looks like is actually uh, cruel, it could be terrifying, it could be isolating, uh, in the Old Testament uh, book of judges, which is uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, judges, Joshua judges. Um, there's a passage that summarizes this whole book. Judges 21:25, it says, "In those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes, which could sound like liberty." Could sound like freedom. Everyone gets to choose for themselves what's good, but what we see in the book of Judges is not flourishing, but mayhem and pandemonium. The people lack a guide for how to live wisely and to live well, and so as a result, uh, they suffer, and the people suffer. But because we're people who follow Jesus, and the church will believe God hasn't left us alone. God hasn't left us to guess about how to live a good and wise and beautiful and flourishing life. The Father has sent Jesus to give us a living and breathing picture of what dignified, whole, mature, healthy personhood looks like. In Jesus, we see a new Adam. In Jesus, we see what we all should have been apart from the fall. In Jesus, we see what God is leading us and by the Spirit transforming us to be like in Jesus. And because of His ascension, the Father and the Son have now sent the Spirit to make us, to grow us into dignified, whole, mature, healthy people living in that kind of community together. And that community is called the church. Three weeks ago, we started this conversation by studying the book of Acts. And we were looking at uh, Acts chapter 1, where Jesus, at His ascension, when He went to the right hand of His Father, to the place of highest authority, gave this promise to the disciples. He said, go and wait in Jerusalem in an upper room, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And you're going to receive power, this is Acts 1.8, when the Holy Spirit comes on you so that you can be my witnesses, my representatives in all the world. Two weeks ago, we looked at the day of Pentecost, and Pentecost was a Jewish festival where they celebrated the grain, the, the harvest. They also celebrated and remembered how Yahweh had given the Ten Commandments and the law on Mount Sinai. But Pentecost took on a whole different meaning in the Christian imagination because on that day, the Holy Spirit fell, not just on one anointed leader, as had been the tradition of the past and, and when the legacy of other world religions. The Spirit fell on the entire church, on men and women, on on rich and poor and young and old. The wind, the Spirit of God was stirring up something new. There came to be a tongue of fire representing the presence of God that hovered on every person who was there. And they started to speak in other languages. And people who were out in the streets from different nations in town for the celebration of Pentecost heard the gospel in their own language and came to believe. And when they went back home, they took the gospel with them. And in a heartbeat, the gospel went out into the known world. World. And then last week we talked about how the Holy Spirit was active in shaping a new group of people, the church, a new community. And the Holy Spirit was, was showing up in the way that this community lived together, that they were constantly together together that they were pooling their resources and giving generously to one another and to others who had need. They were studying together. They, they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were learning. They were praying. They began to do the things that Jesus had been doing among them. And just in the normal operation of them being the church together, not doing any evangelistic crusades, not knocking door to door, not going out two by two with a cardboard sign and standing on a street corner, just by being the church People were drawn to it like flies on rice. It was magnetic. They were compelled to come and want to be a part of it. And it says in the Scriptures, God added to their number every day the people who were being saved. Jesus promised the Spirit would come. The Spirit came in power. The Spirit shaped a community. And today in this passage that we've just read in Acts 3, we we begin to see uh, what the work of the Spirit looks like in the lives of these disciples as they go about their, their everyday Work. And so in this passage, Peter and John are, are doing their thing. They're going to the temple at the fixed hour, 3 o'clock, to pray, as many of them did. And on their way in, they weren't looking for trouble. They weren't looking for anything. This man who was sitting uh, at the, the side of the gate hollered at them and, and asked for money. I, I'm very uncomfortable in those kind of situations. I wish that I weren't because I'm supposed to be a professional Christian and a role model or something, but I'm, I'm really uncomfortable in those situations. It seems that more than five years ago or 10 years ago, at every off-ramp to the major intersections in Tulsa, it's, very, it's true of I-44, it's just right here. There are people who are asking for money. I remember when Emily and I lived in Honduras, there was this particular intersection where the grocery store we always went was right there, La Colonia Mega. And uh, there was this particular guy who always sat right there and, and I don't know what his what his condition was, but it, it almost looked like he didn't have bones in his legs. It was, it was really something else. And he would sit on this skateboard all day long and using his hands, go up and down the side of the street waiting for people to give him money every day. And sometimes I would feel compelled to give. Sometimes I felt really uncomfortable. But most of the time I just felt insecure because I felt like this guy's challenges are way more than I can address. And so I'm just going to I feel like just disengaging, and I feel like I, I didn't have anything to offer of substance that was going to change this guy's life. Well, Peter and John are in this situation, and, and what do they do? It stood out to me, and maybe you noticed it in the reading of the text, that when the guy hollers at them, they look directly at him. Peter and John look directly at him. And they make eye contact, and the guy who's accustomed to being looked down on and probably looking down on himself has his head on the ground. They say, look at us. They make eye contact, and Peter and John say, "Look, we don't have any money, but I'll tell you what we do have." And say, "In the name of Jesus, get up!" They grab him by the right hand, and they pull him up, and everybody freaks out and they go berserk because this guy has been sitting here. He's been lame from birth. He's forty years old. For forty, can you imagine forty years being uh, being lame? What's so fascinating and amazing about this to me? is what the disciples are doing follows perfectly the example of Jesus. If you read the Gospels, this happens many times, where Jesus takes some kind of action, the people follow up His action with questions, and then He has the opportunity to teach or to tell the good news in response to their questions. So the people elect to be students of Jesus because they've seen what, they've done, what He's done, they're curious, and they follow Him, which is precisely what happens in this passage. The disciples minding their own business, run into a situation, they're presented with an opportunity, they heal this man, they take action, and then they go to temple to worship, and people follow up with them and they say, what on earth is the deal? How did you do this? And the answer, they're given opportunity to give an answer, and the answer is the story of God, it's the gospel, it's everything that's going on with Jesus. Jesus. They told how Jesus was crucified and handed over, resurrected, ascended to the right hand of the Father. Oh, and He's coming back to restore all things. That's in this chapter. They acted. The people followed up with questions, and then they had an opportunity to respond with the gospel, which I love. Most pastors would pay money and beg for someone just to come to them, but the disciples didn't have that kind of problem. They did their thing. And the Lord sent people. In fact, the people were chasing them to have what they offered and to understand what was going on there because that's just otherworldly. The other compelling thing is that the disciples are not only following the example of Jesus, they're doing the stuff that Jesus did, which we shouldn't be surprised by because He said that would happen. This is from John 14. Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in Me will do the works I've been doing. What was Jesus doing when John the Baptist sent his followers to Jesus and say, Are you the one? He said, Well, tell them what you've seen. The lame are walking, the blind are seeing, the dead are coming back to life. Jesus said, Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing, and even greater things than these, because I'm going to the Father. Jesus is talking about his own ascension. Going to the Father means he's going to the right hand of his Father to pray for us, to intercede for us. And if He's at the right hand of the Father, that means He'll send the Spirit to us to empower us to do these very things. The stuff He did, we're to do. And according to Jesus, even greater things than this. But sadly, we've long since given up on the promise that Jesus' words were true. We've long since given up, at least in the American church, We've given up on the hope of the power of God being actively at work in our community. And we've replaced the power of God with noise and with lights and clutter and busyness and programs and branding and politics. Doing anything and everything to attract and compel and beg and legislate people to care about the things that we care about and believe in the things that we believe in. Selling God and selling church like a used car. Or like a like a, a timeshare in Clearwater, Florida. A lot of you have heard me reference this uh, um, story called "Revival in the Hebrides." This really poorly ed- edited and written book, which I'm giving out at the end of service. By the way, I have a couple coffees. It's a horribly edited book, but it tells a powerful story of the church in Scotland and these isles called the Hebrides in the early 1950s. Uh, where the church was dead, and God's Spirit moved in power and gripped people's attention and imagination. And hundreds of thousands of people, apart from some kind of official ministry of the church, came into a truly transformative relationship with Jesus, and it caught the world's attention. And Duncan Campbell was an evangelist who came in after this revival had begun, and he was really just a witness of it and and an ambassador for it going throughout the world and telling the story of what God did among the Scots. And in commenting on uh, typical revivals when we think of them in the American church and the Western church, he said this, he said, "'It's my own deep conviction that the average man or woman is not going to be impressed by our publicity, our posters, or our programs.' But let there be a demonstration of the power of the Spirit, and at once men and women are arrested. And I think this is just as true as it was nearly 70 years ago. Nobody cares about our programs. Honestly, nobody cares how good the preaching or the music is. Nobody cares how entertaining, you know, whatever it is that we offer. They just don't care. We're used to being sold things but let people encounter the presence of the living God. Let people see something that grabs their imagination, and then they're going to be chasing us down. But we've long since given up on that. I hope we haven't. This has been our ambition in launching Cornerstone. And I want to be really clear that there's no arrogance in this, nor nor are we being naive about if we just will it to be true, we can make it happen. Our ambition has been to to do the stuff that Jesus said, to believe the stuff that Jesus said to be true. He said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, if you're connected to me and I'm connected to you, your life is going to bear fruit. Apart from me, you could do nothing. And so that's been our invitation the last five, six months is, guys, there's there's one thing we've got to nail together. That's being attached to Jesus, being in a relationship with Jesus. If we, get, if we miss, like if we get one thing right, let that be it. And as we've continued into the next part of the story looking at Acts, we find that remaining in Jesus and keeping step with the work of the Holy Spirit is our, is our high calling and our first calling as a church. Jesus said you'll receive power when the Spirit comes, and so we've been creating space to, to pray and yearning together for the Holy Spirit of God to move in power in a way that we couldn't manufacture or coerce on our own. And we want to actively give up on this temptation to build the community and the church the way we know how, which is by selling and by pushing and by force, and praying that this community would be established not on the strength of a personality, but on the strength of the power of God at work in our lives. Hoping and yearning and waiting and groaning in prayer together that God would do that kind of work. In the 13th century, uh, Pope Innocent II was the Pope, and Thomas Aquinas, whom perhaps many of you have heard of, was a a theologian and active writing at the time. He wrote The Imitation of Christ that maybe you've heard of. And Pope Innocent uh, was sitting behind a table that was covered with these silver coins, feeling pretty proud of himself. And he commented to Thomas Aquinas, who was there with him, he said, We can no longer say with the apostles, silver and gold have I none, with this spread before him. And Thomas Aquinas humbly, profoundly says, yes, but neither can we say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Apart from the power of God, apart from remaining in Jesus, we're missing everything. We're missing everything. And so as a community, we're we're, we're tilling the soil. We're trying to remind one another the things that are true, the ways to behave that lead to growth. And so I have a couple of invitations for us this morning. And I want to precede the invitations, which are going to sound like go do these things, with a comment on our being. Because our doing should flow out of our being, not the other way around. The first, The thing I want us to understand about who we are as the church is that apart from any good thing that we've done, We are loved and chosen and blessed by God, the vessels of His Spirit. Whether you bomb in this life or you keep in step with the Spirit in a glorious kind of way, Jesus is extending His love to you. You are welcome in His family as a son or daughter. Regardless of any good or horrible thing that you do, you're welcomed into the family. But there are also these invitations for a a Spirit-drenched life and a Spirit-drenched community that we hope to have and be together. The first is this, and we're going to learn this from the early church every time we talk about their story, is we must be students of Jesus. And I mean active students of Jesus enrolling in His course of discipleship. Uh, the pages of our Bibles, of the Gospels, should be worn. Should be, we should be able to look at the underline and the sweat and the coffee stains of the years because we have obsessed with the person of Jesus learning from Him how to be with Him and how to live like Him. We're not going to experience the fruit we want apart from an apprenticeship to Jesus. The second thing is this, spend as much time as you can with other believers, which is what the church did. And I want to put a particular spin on this because in the American church, we're accustomed to people telling us how to do that. And we need to provide ways. It's hospitality. We need to provide structure to encourage that. But let me say, first of all, that, that as, as followers of Jesus, we are initiators. We are people who take responsibility. Don't wait for others to create the kind of community that you want to be a part of. Initiate and act on the kind of community that you hope for Cornerstone to be. Send the email. Make the call. Invite someone to lunch. Uh, choose to be in relationship. There's one guy who, when I was at Asbury... Uh, Right after we had Libby, I remember it was like the switch turned on. He decided he was going to be a part of my life. And like it or not, he's still a part of my life. But I actually love it. Choose to be in the lives of others. This is what it means to be family. Sometimes your family, you'd think, I love them to death. And sometimes, like, the death part is maybe more, eh, like, important to you. That's a joke. It's a joke. Poor joke. Poor joke. But but you don't always choose your family, but you belong to each other. Eugene Peterson said the two things you need to have a true church is the teaching of the apostles and people you normally wouldn't hang out with. Choose to be community. Initiate on the kind of community you long for Cornerstone to be. Uh, The next part, pray for the Holy Spirit to move in power in our community. We're going to do that in a couple of minutes, but pray for it. God honors our dignity. The things that you hope to be true and you express to God to be true, I believe He's listening. Let's pray together for the Spirit of God to move in our church and Christ's church in the world. Next, like Peter and John, cultivate a spirit of readiness and expectation. Uh, we did this at the beginning of the service. We said, whatever you want to do, we're open. Do that uh, in, your, in, your, in your family. In the beginning of the day, as you're driving to work, as you're you know, gearing up for a day of being with your children, or, or whatever it is for you, uh, say, God, I assume you're doing stuff. I assume that you're going to give me opportunities where you've uniquely equipped me to be a blessing to someone else. Assume that those opportunities are going to be there. And every time you've got a little nudge, I should say something. Act on it immediately, immediately, without thinking. Some of, the most, like, some of the moments where I've grown the most as a follower of Jesus have been the times where I've followed that little impulse where I was wondering if it was me or if it was the Holy Spirit. Always bet on it being the Holy Spirit. You're gonna screw it up sometimes, but fail forward. Be expectant that God's gonna give you those opportunities and have a spirit of readiness. Um, at Easter, if you were here, We gave out these little packets of wildflowers, and about six or seven weeks ago, the kids and I planted them in our house. So we've got like 10 little pots in the backyard with these wildflower seeds. And uh, every day for six or seven weeks, we've been watering them, sometimes three times a day, because you can see when like the sun is just scorching them. They're trying so hard to live. And so every time we see it like that, like we just go out and we've been watering and watering and watering. And now for six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks, however long it's been, uh, we haven't seen any blooms. The, the, grass, the green little stalks have been shooting out of the ground. We're seeing the, the beginnings of the variety of flowers that are in there. But it was only this morning that I started to see some little blossoms, some yellow ones, and some delicate little white ones. And I felt like God gave me a little picture. The work of the Spirit is something to be cultivated and learned. You water it, give it sun, you fertilize the soil. Uh, And similarly, if if we persist in prayer, asking the Holy Spirit to till the soil of our hearts, to make us ready for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, I believe we will see a move of God if we persevere in prayer, And not something that's about building the brand of Cornerstone, but about something that is so much greater, the Holy Spirit regenerating and renewing Christ's church around the world, I long to be part of it. Long to be part of it. It seems that every 500 years, God gets up to doing something strange. Phyllis Tickle wrote about this in one of her books. Every 500 years, there's some kind of shift. 500 years in, there was the fall of the Roman Empire, which took the gospel of the barbarians. 500 years later, the, um, uh, the west and the east split. 500 years after that, there was the Protestant Reformation, which caused all kind of mayhem, but also brought the gospel new life to a lot of people. And here we are 500 years later with a sense of restlessness and wondering what God's going to do. And I promise you, we want to be we want to be among the people who are, who are hitching ourselves to that ride. We want to be a part of it. Uh, John, the, John the, the Baptist was sent to make ready a people for the Lord, saying, make straight the paths, repent. And Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom. And there's a similar spirit of, of readiness that I sense is happening as we're getting prepared for something that God's going to do that we can't manufacture on our own. But we can pray for it. We can wait for it. We can look for it, and we can be eager participants in it. And so this morning, I want to do something slightly uncomfortable. And if it's your first time, I'm going to make you uncomfortable regularly, whether I hope to or not. It's going to happen. John, you really shouldn't have shared that story. Um, So I want to encourage us to do something a little out of the ordinary. We're going to get into groups. Introverts are hating me. Forgive me. I'm going to stay on this side as an introvert, and I'll get in a group. Uh, We'll get into groups of four, five, six, and we're going to just pray together what we've been talking about, praying for us as individuals to be open and attentive to the work of the Spirit, and also praying for the Holy Spirit to move in Cornerstone and in Christ's church around the world, praying for individuals, praying for the church, Cornerstone, and we're praying for Christ's church around the world. We'll do this for three or four minutes. Uh, Please find one courageous person in the group or one timid and willing person in the group uh, who will just lead in that prayer. And then uh, the team will come up and lead us in this song that you've heard, Spirit of the Living God. And and as you hear them, uh, let's just continue in prayer by singing this together. Whenever they they start, you can just stand and we'll sing this together. And we're just going to ask, we're going to seek We're going to knock and hope that the Father who longs to give his good gifts to his children will give us the Holy Spirit. Let's persevere. So we'll do that now. Get in groups of four, five, six. If it's your first time and you're like, I hate you so much and I'm never coming back, I give you blessing not to participate, but not my full blessing, Okay. (laughs) Lord Jesus, whatever you want to do in this church, we say yes in advance. You've got a blank check with us. Whatever you want to do, we say yes. Come, establish your reign in our hearts and in our community in our world. Show evidence that the Spirit is at work so that people are compelled to ask us questions. And we have the opportunity to share our hope with the good news of all that God has done through Jesus Christ and all He will do in restoring and renewing all things. And we long for that day. Until then, we wait with gratitude and with expectation. Thank you for the brothers and the sisters that you've given us in the room, our new family, our first family, sons and daughters of God, brothers and sisters in Christ. We say thanks, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.